Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Oh, it's nice to have a nice, cool day today. Oh, it's great to be with you, too. My name's Tim, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. And if it's your first time here, we're so glad that you've come and visited with us today. Uh, we've got a lot of things going on, uh, as well as with the kids' ministry in the back. And um, we'll talk a little bit about that, uh, a little bit about that later. Um, See, we right, last week was Mother's Day. I want to remind you, Father's Day is just next month. Had a great time celebrating moms, and uh, we want to make sure we don't leave Dad out of the picture as well. Uh, but now we're back into this uh, series called the Twelve. We're we're uh, revisiting and, re- and restarting it up again here. And last time we talked, we talked about Philip, and this morning I want to talk about some uh, someone else that was a follower of Jesus Christ. He was one of the first to follow Jesus. His name was Andrew. What we learned so far from these disciples, as you study them out and as you read the Gospels, you're going to notice following Jesus, well, it's a lot about helping others follow Jesus, that that's really what he calls us to do. He says to his disciples, you know, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Even in the Great Commission, he says, go into all the world and make disciples. The question I've always asked myself is, is this just for the twelve is this just for the first 12 followers or does these ideals and these ideas and these uh, com- commissions and this mission involve the 12 that followed after them and the 12 after that and the 12 after that? Does it, is it still important today? I believe it is. And so we can learn from these guys, you know, how to follow uh, Christ and how to help others follow Christ. Uh, see, Sarah gave, mentioned a book a few weeks ago, the, the 12 dudes, something that followed Christ and did it or something like that. And I thought, man, that's an interesting title. Um, and so we, what do we know about Andrew? Well, when you study the scriptures, you find out that Andrew was, again, one of the original 12. He's listed on all the lists. He also is a fisherman with his uh, brother uh, Peter or Simon. We also know that he was a follower of uh of John the Baptist originally and heard words like, um, there goes the Lamb of God. And so out of that observation from John, he decides to follow Christ. And he, he's one of the people that asked Jesus, where are you staying? And he goes, well, and Jesus says, come and see. And so they spend the day with Jesus. Only later, he, Jesus would find Andrew and Peter and James and John and would say, hey, come follow me. And they would drop their nets and follow Again, I mentioned he's a brother of uh, probably one of the most famous people in the New Testament, and that's Peter. And uh, we also notice something else. As you study Andrew, uh, most of the details you find about Andrew are in the book of John, like Philip. And uh, we notice from looking at these little details that Andrew has this reputation, and it's the reputation of bringing people to Jesus. He's always bringing somebody, one person, maybe two at a time. So this morning I want to look at three insights here. We've got a lot of material here today and I'll try to, uh, I'll try to make it, I'll try to be fair. Okay. Here, here's three th- insights I'm noticing that I want to pass these on to you that we can learn from Andrew about bringing others to Jesus. First, I bring others to Jesus as much as I want to. Desire has a lot to do with discipleship. In fact, your desire and your discipleship are connected. Let me ask you a question. Do you want people to know Jesus? Do you want 
to bring people to Jesus. You say, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're somebody that's not a Christian. I don't expect you to. Who would expect somebody who doesn't follow Jesus to want someone to follow? I get that. And I've heard people in, in 30 years, 40 years of ministry now say, I don't want anybody to know Jesus. And they happen to be people that aren't Christians. I, I get that. But if I'm a follower of Jesus, how much do I want others to follow him? Because it really has a connection and it's linked to my discipleship. Let me show you how much Peter or how much Andrew wanted others to know Jesus. It says, as Jesus here in your notes, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. And look at the response. At once they left their nets and followed him. See, Andrew was so aware and so convicted about a desire to bring people to Christ, that idea of being a fisher of men, that he would drop whatever he was doing to make it happen. That's what followers do. They'll drop whatever they... they, they right in the middle of whatever's going on. And I don't know about you, but I've learned this and since I've been a Christian, you know, way back in the 70s. God is always interrupting my schedule. I mean, when it's when the Bible says a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps, I, w- I, I, I want to rewrite that. A man plans his course, and it doesn't mean a thing to God, because God is going to change what we. The whole schedule gets blown up real quick, because He knows, He understands, He has time in His hand, He understands opportunity, and He wants to use you and I to bring people to Christ. And in order to do that, we've got to be willing to drop whatever we're doing. In a moment's notice, I heard uh, a mentor of mine uh, uh, say to me after he lost a pet, his pet cat, Tim, I've learned something. What's that? I've had I've learned to hold on to things loosely. I said, what do you mean by that? And he goes, well, I'm just saying is you don't want to hold on too tight to things. Because any minute they can be taken away. And that's really the nets that the disciples had a hold of. They didn't hold on very tight. They held on to it loosely. They were willing to drop whatever it was to do what God wanted. Look at this passage in Romans 9. The Apostle Paul, I'm looking forward to talking to him when we close this series up. Look at how strong his desire is to see people come to Jesus. I wish I could help my Jewish brothers, my people, I would even wish that I was cursed and cut off from Christ if that would help them. What are, you, what are you saying, Paul? I'm willing to go to hell for them. That's what I'm willing to do, Tim. That's how much I want them to, to know Jesus. The Christian Post just, just reported this two days ago. And they, 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 uh, they reported a, a, a survey by Lifeway.com. And what they found was they, they uh, researched 1,000 pastors across the United States asking them, what's the greatest challenge you're facing right now in your churches? And 75% of them said it was apathy. In fact, they call it apatheism is what they're coining it. And some of the apologists, some of the popular apologists, the one that wrote that cold case Christianity for kids, I was recommending that book a couple of weeks ago, he came out and said, it's a greater threat to the kingdom of God than atheism. 
Because what they what they learned as they did they, they did this survey, they found that a lot of people had this idea that well I'm going to attend church, if I attend church and I go to a few things I'm good, I'm good. And I want to tell you a desire to go to church. It thrills me to see you here. It really does. I, I, I like to go to church. I'm not one of those guys that says, Tim, you've got to preach, you've got to go. I, I, I'm going whether I preach or not. I love going to church. And that's good. But let me tell you something that's even better. When I'm willing to try to get someone and persuade them or invite them and bring them to church with me. When I help others come and see. Now, I know that everybody here, we've got different reasons and different levels of desire. Am I right? When it comes to bringing people to Jesus. Some of us here are like, oh man, I just, I look forward to meeting people and you're a people person. I got a shirt I'm wearing at camp that says, I used to be a people person until I met people. I mean, I didn't get it. I get it. And, you know, and, and, and so there's a, there's this, this, this kind of fun, you know, uh, uh, exciting sometimes to, to meet people for some of us. Some of us, we dread it. We don't want it. We're a wallflower. We do, we're f- afraid or we're just not motivated at all. Oh, you're just, I know what the preacher's trying to do. He's trying to get more seats filled. I want, I guarantee you, we went through that phase. We're, we're gone. We're way past those days, folks. I'm not interested in filling seats. I'm interested in filling people with Jesus Christ. How about you? That's what it's about. That wasn't a cheap thing. That's, that's true. That's what we're about. But what can I do to deepen this desire? Because I know we're at different levels. Well, let me give you some quick ones that I think really help. The first, I get with Jesus regularly. And notice I said get with Jesus regularly. Oh, you mean a quiet time. Well, yeah, but I'm talking about getting with the Master. On a regular basis. There's lots of books out there that you can do. Devotional books. My mother gave me a book you can read. It's Jesus, his words, using his passages, speaking from a first person to me in the morning and in the evening. I love it. You begin the day and end the day with encouragement from Christ. But there's something about getting with Jesus that heightens that desire, just like the twelve. When I begin to read one of the Gospels, and I would suggest to you just during this series... Read the book of John or or Mark. If you want a shorter book, book of Mark. But read it over and over and over and over. And as you read it, you're going to fall in love with the Master. And you're going to catch some of His passion. Some of His, some of His fire. You know, Jeremiah talks about it being, the Word of God being a fire in our bones. And you see this in the book of Acts. I think I've got those references for you in Acts where they go, they noticed the boldness. They saw the fire in the apostles and said, They've been with Jesus. I get fire from the fire starter, Jesus Christ. Barna just put this out just a day ago. And um, in fact, uh, I don't have my phone, but it's a, it's, if you look up sneak peek, uh, uh, no, 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 that's not that one, is it? I'll talk about it later. But but uh, I got too much on my head. Wayne knows what I'm talking about. I'm thinking about a valve lifter. Figure that out. So... But Barnett said this, they brought this out just a couple of days ago as well, that 2% of parents in the church now have a biblical worldview. 2 to 3%. That 2 to 3% of parents have this idea, what's a biblical worldview? Well, that's a really interesting way. What is that all about? 
Well, a biblical worldview, let's put it in contrast with some other views. For example, you can have a secular worldview, which basically states that what you believe and what's true to you is a matter of personal preference. That's a secular point. A scientific worldview is everything comes down to nature. There's really nothing supernatural. There's nothing beyond. Remember the movie Signs? When Mel Gibson looks over at his brother and says, you know, there's two kinds of people, the kind of people that think God's going to come save them and and the other people think you're on your own. And he looks at him being an ex-priest and goes, you're on your own. That's a secular worldview. So we see everything as just principles, nature, and that's how it plays out. Then there's the postmodern worldview. And it's truth is determined by your upbringing, your culture. For example, have you ever wondered if you're a Christian only because you live in the United States? I do not want to be a Christian because of my culture. But the culture really has a big impact on what we believe, doesn't it? You can't deny it. The music, the movies, everything. Then there's this Christian or this biblical worldview. And what's that? That the way things are have been arranged by God and His truth explain it. And see, without having that clear idea of well, what's God up to and what's God want to do with this, with my life, with this earth, I'm going to see things from a skewed point of view. It's almost like glasses, like I'm wearing glasses right now, and they help me see more clearly. But what usually happens is if, if my glasses are, if I have the wrong prescription or if they're broken or if they're a, a certain color, it skews everything I see. And so a biblical worldview is saying, Lord, clear all this up. Give me the correct way, the best way to see how the world works. That's why Christians, committed Christians, what's happening in the world doesn't alarm them. But more than that, they think about how their time is spent, how their money is spent, and all their priorities, how they fit into their view of how God works in their life in the future. That's basically what we're talking about here. And only 2% of parents have this idea of a biblical worldview. It's no wonder our teenagers, our children are confused. If we don't have an idea an awareness, if we're, if we're not living with this awareness of God and how He works and everything, then they're going to see it in our choices, in our preferences. You see that? In our, the results we have. They may see a career more important than using that career to bring others to Christ. Or getting money. Oh, I want lots of money. So you kids will be well off. Yeah, but what's the purpose of God blessing us? Use it to bless others. That biblical worldview begins to shape my priorities and my choices. Does that make sense? And so it's very, so getting with Jesus kind of clears this up because I, He has, <laughs> He has the biblical worldview. Would you agree? And so when you're around Jesus and you see how He looks at people and looks at opportunities and looks at things, oh my goodness, it just opens up a whole perspective and you're able to see clearly Oh, this is what God wants. Oh, this is what... No wonder they dropped their nets. No wonder that was no longer the most important thing to them. They wanted Christ to be that. And the great thing about this, guys, when we get with Jesus on a a regular basis, we catch His passion and His excitement about the Lord, about God, about the will of God, about people. We see people differently. 
We see it shapes everything differently. That's one thing I can do. Get with Jesus on a regular basis. I would encourage you to get in the Gospels and just start following Jesus, through, especially through the book of John. That's what I did. And man, it helped me so much. I learned more about Christ and got, fell in love with Jesus because of the power of the Gospels. And the second thing I can do is I can address my sin. If there's anything that takes away desire or passion, it's sin, the load of sin. And you read, you read about in Psalms 38, David describing how his heart is pounding and he's short of breath. And he even says this, he says, even the light has gone out of my eyes. What's he saying? I'm not excited anymore. Sin does that, just zaps us. Psalms 51, remember that one? That's his big confession over his sin with Bathsheba. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And he says, restore to me the joy of your, of your salvation and renew a right spirit in me. What's he saying? Oh, give me that right spirit, that desire again. And then he follows it with, and then I will teach transgressors. I'll bring people to you. Sin's a big, big thing. Maybe you have to address it. Maybe there's something you're doing. You need to address it. It's it's hindering you from um, from bringing those to Christ or wanting to. A third thing I do is simply ask God. God, give me give me boldness. Give me the desire. Help me see. Help me see where people really are. Help me be convicted. Another thing I can do is I can link up with a positive support group. You know, I've, I've, as I look at the scriptures, I notice that sometimes people are alone with God, but they're never alone for long. They'll spend some time alone with God. You can think of all these people. Moses was alone. Jacob was alone. You know, uh, Paul was in Arabia alone. Joseph was alone. But they eventually, God brings them to a group. Why? Because we need that support, that community. Even the twelve. It's the twelve. He called them to a group. And so you and I, sometimes being in a group, we, 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 uh, find ourselves with somebody else that's, man, they're excited about Jesus. They're, and it, it kind of rubs off on us. It really does. It's, it, it, it helps us get back on track. And finally, I can share my faith. These all, to me, have helped me over the years when my desire is waned to get it back. And what do you mean by sharing your faith? Philemon 6 says, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so you'll have a, a, a complete understanding of every good thing you have in Christ. There is something about, I want to be able to start sharing Scripture with people, share my story with people, and when you see it begin to have an impact, it just reaffirms, man, the gospel works. And it just gives you, it fills you with desire. That's the first thing. I bring to people, I bring to Je- uh, others to Jesus as much as I want to. The question again I want to ask you simply is how much do you want to bring Christ and bring people to Christ? Here's the second thing we learned from Andrew. What can, and, that, and that's this. Most people are brought to Jesus individually. I mean, I got to thinking about this. Maybe you've thought about too. I mean, just think about this. How many of you can say, I was brought to Jesus because of a big campaign? Or, a, you know, it was a sermon I went to and had no intention of doing anything. And then I heard this sermon and off I went. I can't, I, I don't, I've met very few people that could raise their hand. Because most of us are reached individually. Personally, 
I remember I was being, I was studied with, with Denise studied with me with a couple of her friends for two years. That's how stubborn I was. Still can be. But two years she's studying the Bible with me. I know I was t- talking about this uh, just yesterday. You know, when you're, you're, uh, 17, 18, you're going to the drive-in movie and you're a young man, thoughts of Jesus are not on your mind. Just being honest. And I just remember the Fairfield drive-in, and here I am with Denise, and oh, man, pretty, smells good, has all of her teeth. I love it. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just saying she's, oh, she's beautiful. And uh, I look over, I kid you not, I look over, and there's a car, and there's a couple over there, and mercy, what's going on over there? And I'm looking at her like, and I lean in. She goes, hey, listen, I brought my Bible. Can we look at this? Ruined the moment. <laughs> Ruined it. That's what we did on dates. I don't know why we even bothered to go to the drive-in. Because all we did was dive into the scriptures. And we just kept going on and on. And I'm going, why are you? And she's showing me this verse and this verse. Challenging me to death about, you really love Jesus? Yeah, I love Jesus. Well, what are you going to do with that verse? I don't know. Man. I'd go home just bothered for lots of reasons, but that was one of them to bother with too. And I remember going to a soul winning workshop in Williamstown, West Virginia, and there was uh, about 3,000 people in this gymnasium. It was packed. And it was in June, June 29th to be exact. And as, as uh, the preachers preached it, and I'm not sure, and Bob uh, Hawkins would know who I'm talking about. I think it was Pat Casey that was preaching. I think it was Pat Casey from Millington, Tennessee. I don't remember because I wasn't paying attention to him. I don't remember anything he said. All I was thinking is, I've got to give my life to Jesus. How am I going to do this without anybody noticing? And I just remember going, man, I... I know what this is going to mean. If I do this, it means life's going to have to change. And here I thought I was, I was very satisfied religiously. I got to tell you, very satisfied. Didn't have a, I thought I'm a Christian. I'm fine. But I knew there was some things I needed to really deal with. And I wrestled and wrestled while they're singing just as I am. And it was almost like the song there knew I was wrestling. I don't know how you'd know because he sang like extra verses. I'm like, come on. And finally, I decide to respond, and I was baptized uh, within the hour. See, that's that's how people are reached. It's never some big shot. It's usually some little shot, someone that's um, we don't even know. Most people wouldn't know. And see, Andrew is this example of someone who's giving this personal touch to bring people to Christ. It's got to have a personal touch. Let me give you the three passages that show us the kind of people Andrew brought. First, Andrew brings family to Jesus. He brings family to Jesus. The first thing Andrew did, Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. The Greek word behind that we have found is the word Eureka. Everybody ever say, Eureka! It's Eureka behind that. And he goes, Andrew wants his brother to know Christ. You know, sometimes I've realized something here, and that is finding something to do for Jesus 
many times is right in my very own home. I don't have to, I don't have to get in a car or go door knocking. I'm not knocking those. No, I, sometimes it's right there in my own home. I've watched over the years. Husbands and wives influence each other to Christ. I've watched brothers and sisters help each other to know Christ. It's awesome to see. I've watched kids. Kids are very powerful. I'm one of those kids that has a big impact on mom, big impact on dad. I got to, like I told you, I got to share, I got to share my faith with my mom. You know, when I became a Christian and I was dating Denise, it's really easy to think, oh, you're doing that for the girlfriend. And it took years for my mother to go finally say to me at one time, you know, I realize you haven't done that for your, you didn't do it for Denise. I go, that's true. And we studied the Bible a lot. And I learned to be stubborn from the best. Am I right? Yeah, we're pretty pig headed. But my mom always taught me this. And I'd say this whether she's here or not. She says, you can learn from anybody, Tim. So always kind of be open here. But I got to share, I've got to share my faith with my mom and study the Bible with my mom. Awesome experience. The best. The best. I've got to share my faith with my brothers. And there's my brother Danny in the back there. Um, my cousins and even my dad. My dad asked me one time with a cigarette in one hand and a beer in the other and going, so how do I become a Christian? I go, wow, dad, that's a big, big question. And we begin to talk about it. You know, my dad one time came to church when my mom and dad were back when I was a kid. And he sat, mom had him sitting like on the second row, I think. I remember seeing the back of his head. And I look at Danny, I'm going, this is scary, freaky, scary. He goes, yeah, what if dad becomes a Christian? We're going to have to be good at church. I know. (laughs) My dad never made that commitment to Christ. But man, I wanted him to. You know, Father's Day's coming next month. And if your father isn't here like me, go find a father somewhere. You see a guy with a kid? Hey, listen, we have a Father's Day service. I want to invite you to it. You know, uh, bring him. Bring him. I just want to encourage you here to, to... Some of us here, we've worked on our families for a long time. And maybe we've gotten lax and we've quit. Can I just ask you to rekindle that desire once more? And just and recommit to that role. I am in God put me in this family to reach and in God's family to reach my family, like Andrew, who would reach Peter. He wants you to reach someone in your family. Wonder who it's going to be. There's another set of people. Andrew brings young people to Jesus. You know, Jesus loved babies, he loved kids, he loved teenagers, he loved he loved young men and women. In fact, in Matthew 19, if a very familiar passage we read all the time, you know, the children, it says, were brought to Jesus, it says here, in the hope that he would lay hands on them and pray for them. By that way, that implies that there's some parents there, some grandparents, an aunt or uncle, whatever, they're trying to get people to Jesus. That's implied there. The disciples shooed them off, but Jesus intervened. Let the children alone, and look at this, don't prevent them from coming to me. God's kingdom is made up of people like this. See, to Jesus, children are not a nuisance. They're needed. They're so needed. They're wanted. And he says, don't prevent them from getting to me now. He's saying that to a group of disciples. Not all of them were married. Not all of them had children. He's saying it to you and I. 
Don't prevent them from coming to me. And see, Andrew, like we, you know, he believed that they were useful in the Lord's sight. Remember the feeding of the the 5,000? We looked at this when we talked about Philip, and it was Andrew that finds the little boy. You know, here's Philip calculating away, finding finding all the problems. Andrew is looking for a person. And he's looking and looking and looking, and there, oh, he finds a kid. What do you got there? It's my lunch. Hey, let me, come on. We're going to go see Jesus. And here's Jesus listening to Philip go, there's no way we're going to be able to do this. It's impossible. And Andrew goes, hey, I got some food. I got uh, this kid's got some fish here and some loaves of bread. You know, you know, do your thing. Do your thing, Jesus. He brings a kid to Jesus. The history of this church is rooted in young men and women. Started off with a, 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 a twenty-somethings. That didn't know much about anything. You know what the reputation was around here? Those guys have no idea what they're doing. And you know what we said? You're right. We had no idea. We don't know what we're doing. In fact, I don't know if we still do. We're, you know, we, we were trying all kinds of things and we were, we were young and crazy and, oh, they need some old people to get them in line. Well, now I are old. And you know, it's young people that are still, I think, a major secret to this church. I remember when we started the kids' ministry way back. And I remember having uh, people helping me that scared me. <laughs> Let alone the kids, they scared me. And we did puppets. And we did, by the way, our kids' ministry right now is doing a, a series called More Than Dirt. I just uh, And, and they're, they're, uh, um, they're talking about the condition of the heart and the parable of the soils. And uh, Ellen made us a, a dirt puppet. Called, his name is Claude. And I was walking around saying, hey, I'm Claude. And I say, you didn't take a bath, did you? I'd ask the kids, you didn't take a bath, did you? You know, I don't think that's a good idea. Dirt is good. I say, And he says, you know what scares me? And I turn my puppet and the grandkids are going, who, what? What scares you, Claude? Shovels and rakes. Well, they're doing a thing, a whole series on the condition of the heart, how that matters to the, to them, how it really matters to all of us. It's the condition of our heart. And I'm so excited to see that. I've watched, by the way, I've watched, we started a kids ministry, and then I remember when we started a teen ministry. I remember when Mike Kiffmeyer started as a, as a youth minister. Incredibly on fire. Man, was he like, there's a wall, and Mike's already through it. Sweat, bled, died many times for teenagers. Mary's Kim, and they don't even miss a lick. Boom, boom, boom. I've watched our youth group. I've watched our teen ministry. Campus ministry started after these two ministries. Am I right about that, church? Yeah. Campus ministry started later. Not much later, but it started later. And we're tearing up SIUE and, and trying to tear up Lewis and Clark. I've watched all three of these ministries over the years do this. I think about many of you here who volunteered for the kids' ministry. Used to be a part of the kids' ministry. Gave your heart to that kids' ministry. I'm so glad. If you ever wonder, Elena. 
we share same passion about kids. I want kids to experience what I experience at church camp in Low Prairie is next is next month, and we're already needing some help sending some kids to camp. And if you'd like to help, I think it's 125 per camper. If you want to help, just write on your check. Here's 125 or 50 bucks, whatever. Put on that memo, sponsor a kid at camp, and we'll make sure it gets to these families. But I've watched this go up and down. Kids ministry, teen ministry. You know, it's, is it me? I always thought things were supposed to go like this. You read the book of Acts and like that yodeler on prices right ah! it happens I mean I've watched this go up and down it, it occurred to me I think that's normal I don't like this I like this but you know there's times when I'm like this I don't call out to God like I do when I'm down here and I'm watching, I'm watching these ministries getting a second wind. It's exciting. Andrew saw the value. It's not the future of the church, it's the church now too, but the future of this church is secure when we, we need the energy, the energy from those young men and women, whether they're six or sixteen. Why is it so important? 80% chance, there's an 80% chance that a, a person will become a Christian before the age of 20. That's still holding. It's still true. When you do a little study, uh, Barna's got a study out called A Sneak Peek on Teens in America, and you can just look it up and you'll find that article. They're discovering that right now teenagers are more open than they've been in years. Is that a wild? That they identify with Jesus as a man who triumphs justice. They don't have a, have a problem with Jesus. They got a problem with the rest of us. With their churches. Oh, we've got an opportunity. And see, all of us here can help, whether we have children or not, or whether they've grown up or not. You say, oh, you want more money. You just plugged for some money. No, it's not the money. And not the money, folks. Listen, we can, we can bring, you can bring people to, younger people to Christ without having young people in your house. They're all around us. I like walking through Walmart, going through the toy section. I'm 64. What's that old man doing? He must be shopping for his grandkids. No, I actually look for families sometimes. And you always, by the way, if you listen real close, you can hear him calling. Shut up, shut up. Oh, I know where they are. Toy section. There he is. Got a crowbar prying off this toy for this kid's hand. Great opportunity to talk to him then. I need help. You do. And you need Jesus. No, I'm just saying is that it's, there's some great places. We don't have to just say, well, I'm going to just reach out to my age group. No, we need to reach out to all ages is what I'm trying to tell you. That's what Andrew was about. But you can also, you also can help reach young people by offering your home and your car, your time, your service. VBS will be coming. Volunteer and help there. But can I tell you a, a big contribution you can make 
even right now, is that we decide to be friendly and excited when we see them. Again, what does Jesus say? Don't prevent them from coming to me. They were shooing them away. What an attitude. I know some, by the way, I know some of us here, we're, we, I've said this before, I've inherited this face. I just, man, I wish I had a different face. I said something, you know, we, well, Alice and I were talking, you really want my face? <laughs> and I, I just know she beams. I tend to burden people. But I know I have to come to church. I gotta be up. And it's not coffee that's gonna get me there. I've gotta decide. I'm gonna be glad to see people. Oh, so you're making it up, you know, fake it till you make it. No, it's a decision you make to be excited, to be friendly. Here's what happens when we do this, church. Every teenager, every child finds this place to be a safe place. You hear me? It's safe to them that it's a positive place. It's a place where they feel wanted. And we do desperately want our teenagers, right? I want them. I want them. I want college students. I want them. And you say, well, I'm old, Tim. What about me? We're older. Come on now. I know, you know, we want, we want you here. I want to feel wanted too, but I'm old enough to know something. I should be mature enough to not have to go looking for it. Make sense? I'm here to give. So he brings young people. Here's another one here. Andrew brings outsiders to Jesus. This is a passage we looked at when we were studying Philip just a couple of weeks ago. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. You know, Philip was maybe a little intimidated, maybe he's a little scared. By the way, both their names are Greek names. But it's interesting that Andrew's the one who says, well, let's go. and Let's go talk to the master. Jews had a reputation for being racists, for being prejudiced, for being bigots. Every Gentile was unclean. Samaritans were worse. Greeks, Gentile. So they had little to do with them. They didn't want to mess with them. They talked different. They acted different. They had different values. But Andrew, see, believed that Jesus was needed by everyone. He wanted to make sure everybody got at least a shot at meeting Jesus. Tradition tells us that Andrew went as far as into Russia. And the people in Russia at the time were described this way. Outcasts, barbaric, uncouth, crude, and vulgar. Now, don't look at anybody. But that's the kind of people Andrew went to reach. Crude and vulgar people. And see, for me, for you and I, to, for, for us to, to bring people to Christ, we've got to fight this and resist this temptation to prejudge people so much. I still do it. I look at their height. I look... I look at their weight. I look at man, woman, child, old. We put them in categories. Black, white. Can we be honest? We do this. We look at the car. We look at the house. We look, we look at everything. And, and Jesus even said, don't judge by mere appearance. Make a righteous judgment. How do you do that? 
by looking past the appearance. That you resist this prejudice, this prejudging. I went to see my doctor for the first time in seven years. I know, you can yell at me later. Uh, but to get a physical, I had to get a doctor. Get on Medicare, you gotta have a doctor. They won't give you Medicare, so yeah, so, yeah. so I went to the doctor. Highly recommended. And he's poking on me and all kinds of weird things. And we get done. It takes my blood. And he mentions in passing, cause you're a minister. Yeah, yeah, well, I own an autoglass and yeah, I preach. You know, so, um, you know, I've been reading, I've, you know, these studies show that, uh, some people are hardwired in such a way that they tend to be criminals and tend to be perverts and tend to be blah, blah. I've thought to myself, the doc, I wish you'd have told me this before because I'm sitting there going, I'm thinking you're a smart man. And he's reading this, and I've heard this argument made by lots of affluent people that, well, you know, some people, once an addict, always an addict, they're too far gone, they're, you know, they're unapproachable. And, and church, listen to me. I said and I went, I don't know. I, I know that if, if I'm hardwired a certain way, Jesus can rewire me in some ways. I know maybe, I know we contend and bend this way. I know I get that. But I, I've learned from Don Yoder, if you, you can rewire a motor and make it turn the opposite direction. And Jesus is a much better electrician in my life when it comes to change. I mean, there's a guy that was out of his mind in the tombs and he was in his right mind. How do you explain that? There's there's people that are just, I mean, broken to pieces. And yes, heart matters, but can God change anyone? Absolutely. Absolutely. How do I know that? Because... Because just like we put people in little categories of they're uninterested, they're satisfied, they're hard-headed, they're stubborn, they're unreachable, they're beyond help. Somebody has said that about me. And I bet they've said that about you. And just aren't you so glad? I'm so glad that someone like Andrew had a more positive attitude toward looking at my life. They didn't say, no, it's impossible. They said, no, I'm positive God can change you. I'm positive you can be reached. I'm positive you can address that. I am positive that you're going to get to heaven if you'll find Jesus. Aren't you glad? Somebody, an Andrew, did that with you. They fought the negativity and the tendency to pigeonhole you and say, no, i positive, you'll say yes to Jesus. That's how Andrew is. One time Jesus is talking to the disciples about a rich man. Oh, it's hard for a rich man. It's, it's almost impossible. It's like going through the eye of a needle and, and they're going, well, then who can be saved? That's what they say there in Luke 18. Well, well then who can be saved? They're, saved? they're thinking, if he can't be saved, what about this guy, this guy, this guy? Who can be saved then? And look what Jesus says. Ah, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Church, we need to be more optimistic when we're meeting people. Optimistic in the power of God. If you feel powerless, you're probably right. No, no, not probably. You are right. But God is, he's powerless. No, he's powerful. Let him work. Here's the last thing. What do I learn from Andrew? 
to bring others to Jesus, I can't make it about me. First thing Peter or Andrew does, he goes and finds his brother Peter. Now, who is Peter? He's probably one of the most ambitious men that ever walked the planet in the Bible. This guy does, says things, does things. He is, he is a take charge kind of guy. I mean, he doesn't mess around. And Andrew knows this and he knows when he invites his brother Peter into the twelve, he knows what's going to happen, doesn't he? He knows Peter is going to take charge. He's going to be that ambitious man he was when they're fishing together. You ever work with somebody trying to tell you to do everything? I was watching that yesterday. My brother's cutting a tree and his buddy is saying, no, 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 do this, do this. And my brother says, stop it. Peter's a take-charge guy. That's why I think Danny would be an awesome Christian because he's a take-charge kind of guy. And, And Andrew knows this. He knows the potential. So it's no surprise as you watch the Gospels, as Peter joins uh, the group, he quickly seems to be rising while Andrew is slipping into the background. And Andrew's okay with it. Andrew's not a member of the inner circle. Remember, it's Peter, James, John, and Andrew are the four guys. Now he's the odd man out. We're going up to this mountain. Okay, Peter, James, John, come with me. Just these three. And we're going to go pray. I'm going to pray before I die. Peter, James, John, come with me. Yeah. Stay home. Okay. Andrew's content with this. We live in a culture, even American culture, that celebrates the popular, celebrates the spotlight. And what a temptation, huh, to be in that spotlight. Absolutely. I want to be affirmed. It's from that core, I want to be affirmed. I want to be counted. I want to matter. And Andrew says, I already do. I'm in the 12. I don't have to be in the inner circle. He's referred to as the brother of Peter all the time. Anybody here know what that's like? To be referred to as somebody's brother or sister? Anybody here? Raise your hand. Yeah. You, oh, I've got You know, my brother, oh, oh, you're Tim's brother, you're Tim's brother around here. But when I go out and put in glass and I go to Bo Boykman or I go to Plaza, you know, they say, oh, you're Danny's brother. Here comes the shame. <laughs> what is that? They don't even bother to ask my name. Eh, Danny's brother's here. I mean, because he is the expert. I remember one time I went with him and we're working at EBG and they're going, so Danny, who you got with you? Oh, that's a new guy. That's what he says. And he goes, and they, and they go, so how long have you been working for the company? Oh, it's my first day. I played right along. It's something, I don't know how you feel, but sometimes I don't feel cool, cool, does it? To be referred to as, oh, you're so-and-so's brother, you're so-and-so's sister. But Andrew didn't mind. You might think, poor Andrew, poor Andrew. He just didn't catch the breaks. Maybe if he'd have showed up here or did that there. Maybe if he'd have stepped out in the water, then he'd be somebody. Oh, you know what Andrew would say to you and I? What are you kidding? I'm already someone. I'm a part of the twelve. 
I don't have to be in the inner circle. He never planted a church. Andrew never planted a church, never started a church. Andrew never wrote a book. There's no evidence of him ever writing a book like Peter. He wrote a couple of them. At Pentecost, it's Peter that stands up. Andrew's still sitting there among the eleven. One time the disciples are on their way to Capernaum and there's, they're arguing about something. You ever argued when your parents are driving but you don't want them to hear it because you're trying to keep it down down low? You don't want to get in trouble because they might reach around and slap you or something or stop the car. And so they're talking and you don't want anybody to hear. And, I'll, and they're talking away and, and Jesus says, what are you guys arguing about on the way here? And they said, well, what? What were you arguing about? I know what you were arguing about. You're trying to figure out who's going to be the greatest around here. And look what Jesus says. He sat down and called the twelve apostles to him. And he said, whoever wants to be the most important must make others more important than themselves. They must serve everyone else. They asked a famous conductor one time, what's the hardest position in your orchestra? And he said, that's easy, second chair. I've been in a band. Anybody been in a band? You know about first, second chair, right? Third chair, fourth chair. I was in fourth, fourth trombone, very end. And then I'm looking a long line. Of, I was a freshman, and I'm watching the seniors are in first, second. I watched Noel Piercy, who was sitting next to me. He was he could write music. And Mr. Wallace stops. The band says, okay, we're going to have tryouts for chairs. I'm like, what's that mean? And Mr. Piercy, this guy could write Beethoven and Bach. He could do all kinds of stuff on the piano and stuff. He was a brilliant musician. He's a worship leader at a church. That's, he's just amazing. And he goes, yes, what is it, Mr. Wallace? I'm going to... I want you to play this measure. Okay, Mrs. Shock, yes, I, w- I want you to play. She's a senior, and she makes one little mistake. Switch chairs. Now, a freshman young man sitting next to a senior girl. I'm in heaven. But what I didn't realize was, you know, I watched these chairs flipping back and forth. First chair, second chair. Everybody wants to be the first chair. I never got to be first chair, Alan. I come close. No, Piercy was always better. The man was always better. So I was always, even at first trombone, second chair. But there's nothing to be ashamed of second chair. The kingdom is full of second chairs. And you know, you can't make harmony without another chair. You can't sound beautiful without the other parts playing and being enthusiastic about that. They're all important, in other words. And see, and Andrew learns to be content and harmonize from the second chair. You don't have to be in the spotlight to bring people to Christ. You don't have to be at the center of attention to make an impact in the world. Most people are led to Jesus by the obscure, nameless, anonymous Christian who had the guts to speak up. In fact, you and I are Christians today because of the millions of Andrews. Oh, thank you, Peter. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Moses. Thank you, Joseph. You're big shots. I gotta admit, that's, that's pretty nifty. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Denise. Thank you, Mike Napier. All kinds of people. Spoke a little bit. Thank you, Dwayne Adams, for writing those Bible verses. You don't even know him. 
touched my life. Helped me come to find Christ. And it's those people that nobody else knows, but you know them. They reached out to me. And it's going to take the background to be busy to bring more. Andrew didn't always look for praise. He was too busy looking for people. And let me encourage you this morning to look at Andrew's life and ask yourself, what does he call me to change? What's he call me to adjust? What's a choice I can make? What can I do to deepen my desire? Ask yourself that this morning. Maybe it needs deepened. What can I do? Is there a person that God keeps putting you in contact with? Not just family, but maybe at Germania coffee house or where and you just keep bumping into them. Is it coincidence? Or is it on purpose? And ask yourself, maybe this is what I think of. Andrew's challenging me. Think of others over yourself, Tim. Crave the background. That's where the work happens. Again, let me ask you, how much do you want others to know Jesus? That's a big question here at Greater Alton. And I hope you can answer it each day a little better, a little better. And one last question to ask is, ask yourself this, what can I do beginning today to begin bringing others to Christ? It's good to have you here this morning. I hope you've been encouraged. You have a card in your bulletin. You can write out if you like a prayer request or a decision you want to make today. There's boxes there you can check for a personal Bible study or want to know a little bit more about this church. Or maybe there's a, a prayer request or a person you want to pray that you, you, you pray for boldness. Let, let uh, this prayer ministry pray through those cards for you and um, pray that God will answer those prayers. We're going we're gonna to sing. I'm going to pray real quick and then we'll uh, have a song while you're doing that and then we'll sing one last song and we'll be out of here. May God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for wonderful, beautiful Sunday morning, Lord. Thank you for being able to get together. Uh, it's so good to be able to get together um, on a regular basis. And Lord, I pray that, that um, your word has spoken today. Father, uh, reveal to us what reveal and deepen our desire to uh, bring others to you, Father. Help us to commit and be committed to reaching uh, our family. I know some I know some of us here. We need to think about our family again, and maybe a friend. And Father, even if it's a stranger, if it's an outcast, somebody that's just different than us, we know you put us in contact with those. Help us be friendly to our young people to each other. Make this a positive place to be. Man, the media is so negative so much. Let this place be the place we can escape that and and just embrace the positive message of your good, good news. Thank you for everybody that's 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 working to bring others right now. I pray you'll bless their efforts. And um, we pray you'll get the glory, Father that it's not about us, that we make it less about us and more about you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.